you know, at the end of the day, football is football. All Patriots, all, all the time. That's spicy. All Patriots, all, all the time. Welcome to, 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 to First and Foxborough. Training camp week has arrived. Foxborough football fans, what's up? I'm Kyrie Thompson, your host of First in Foxborough. Make sure you download, listen, subscribe, stream on the Odyssey app. Wherever you get your podcasts, you know the drill. Been telling you this every day for the last two weeks. If you're not doing it now, get on that. Anyway, like I said, training camp at last. It's here. Practice begins on Wednesday for your New England Patriots. So many questions about this team on both sides of the ball. How's Mac Jones going to look? Who's calling the plays? Who's playing quarterback? Has Bill Belichick finally lost his mind? We're going to preview what's going to come this week, and it is my pleasure to welcome Chris Price of the Boston Globe to the show to help us do just that. I've been on Chris's show, Patriots Report, a couple of times, and Chris, have you added LeGarrette Blunt to your uh, yeah. your hosting? Yes, we have. We were lucky enough to get LeGarrette Blunt about a month or so ago, and he's been absolutely fantastic, not just from a, a pure analytical point of view, but he's also been willing to kind of pull back the curtain a little bit on what goes on in Foxborough as a player. Our latest episode dropped this week. He talks about training camp and the good, the bad, and the ugly of training camp. And, you know, he, there's, there's, there was an incident, and he recalled this with a laugh, that, you know, one off-season workout with a former teammate of his got a little heated, and he was worried that the former teammate, that is, was worried that, that LeGarrette was going to, Pull a pull a Boise State on him, his phrase. So yeah, yeah. For for those of you who don't remember, uh, Legarrette Blunt had an unfortunate incident where he uh, put hands on somebody back when he was in college, and I believe he got suspended for that. Um, mm-hmm. I know that 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 was you know something that happened once more. I think during his like rookie training camp, but I mean after that, I mean he really seemed to uh, you know put that part behind him. And was really, I mean, by all accounts, seemed to be a model citizen with the Patriots. They brought him back a couple times, if I remember. Yeah, he was. And, and I'll say this too, LG, I, I bring that story up just to illustrate the fact that LG has been completely transparent. He's told a lot of fun stories. He's told him, you know, he's talked about coming into camp overweight and how Bill gave him an offensive lineman number. And he's been really fun to work with. And again, from just, you know, the analytic stuff is great learning about how to play running back in the National Football League, but also, you know, him telling stories, I think that's really, you know, delivered a, an extra dimension to the podcast. I love it. I love it. And make sure you all go ahead and you listen to Patriots Report after you get done with this. I know you're going to love hearing from both Chris and LeGarrette Blunt. And I mean, now that I know this, I feel like now I'm going to have to get both of you on here at the same time because mm-hmm. I can't leave you out in the cold, man. Like mm-hmm. you're my guy. Like I've been on your show like three or four times now mm-hmm. and uh, obviously happy to do it anytime because I just love talking football with you. But yeah, man, like that that's that's awesome. I, I love that. And uh, look, so let's get into this because as I've said, we've talked a couple of times. And you've been around this team for for quite a while and covered them for WEEI back in the day uh, where, you know, I'm currently at right now as a Patriots beat reporter. So, look, I want to ask you something here. How many seasons have you seen like this one where you've had like no idea what this team is really about to do? I mean, I feel like that that's how I feel right now. I have no idea what is going to happen with this team. Not really. 
It, it's a great question. And a lot of those have to be you know, answered with the understanding, look, Tom Brady was there for an awful long time. And so when you have Tom Brady, you have a pretty good idea at the very least, look, you're a 10, 11, 12 win team. And, you know, you can say they're probably penciled in to go to the, at the very least, you know, the divisional playoffs conference finals. Uh, this team is very unique, obviously, in the fact they don't have Brady anymore. They're without a lot of those familiar faces that they had for that, you know, the 20 or so year run. The teams that jump out to me are a little bit of the 2009-2010 era, where you didn't really know what you had, even though obviously Brady was under center. The team was in a bit of a transitional phase. You know, those those rosters were going from that first dynasty to that second dynasty, and they tried to bring some guys in, and it just didn't work. And some guys worked. Obviously, I remember Ninkovich was was one of the you know the great under the radar signings in that era. Um, but you had a lot of familiar faces transitioning out. You know, the the, the Rodney Harrisons, the Richard Seymours, the Mike Rabels, those guys, and they were bringing new guys in, and some of them worked, like I said, and some of them didn't. So. This team reminds me, if I have to make a comparison, probably to that era. And they were able to kind of find a formula that worked moving forward in 2010 and beyond. But they needed to make some changes. They needed to do some overhauling. Uh, and, and really, honestly, after that 2009 season, Belichick needed to get the locker room and get rid of a lot of guys who just didn't want to be there. And so I think right now you're looking at the franchise in another transitional phase. And given Belichick's history, I'm confident that he will be able to find some sort of answer. I don't know what that's going to look like at this point. Um, the one thing I think I can tell you is that they found their guy in Mac Jones. You know, you know, they're going to ride him going forward. He's going to be their quarterback, and it's going to go as far ultimately as Mac can take him. That's really interesting, and we've had some very, very like preliminary discussions about this on on EEI because of the contract extensions that were just handed out to so Kyler Murray. And then there's going to be more guys getting paid down the road that will you know, potentially set the market for Mac Jones. And on one hand, people were like, why are you talking about this? That He only just finished his rookie season. He hasn't even started his second year yet. And the Patriots probably aren't going to be negotiating with Mac Jones for a couple of years now. But to me, I almost feel like it would be crazy to think they're not talking about this already behind closed doors. So without getting into the numbers of it, because obviously it's it's hard to know exactly what Mac Jones would be worth if the Patriots decided that they want to move ahead with him. But let's say they do want to move ahead with him or, or rather that that's what's on the table right now. What does Mac Jones need to show to justify another four or five year contract in this second season? Like how, do, how does he start building that right now I, I think there are two things that come into play here Kyrie I think first of all he needs to be able to take ownership of this offense and I think it's part of the conversation when you talk about who's going to be a play caller who's going to be the play caller I think I, I'm not saying you're going to put it all on Mac's shoulders but I think Mac is going to be or going to have to be a little bit more assertive now moving forward because he does have that you know first year under his belt because he does not have Josh McDaniels with him and I think that really for me is going to be the number one thing to look for with Mac Jones this year. He needs to be able to progress. He needs to be able to win games, just not lose them. He needs to be in situations like we saw at the end of the Dallas game or at the end of the Tampa Bay game, things like that. He needs to be able to win those games now because he has the year under his belt. 
he has the year of, okay, look, this is the challenge of playing in the National Football League. He needs to be able to take all that accumulated knowledge that he learned last year and be able to move it forward and be able to be the kind of guy who wins 11 games, 12 games. I'm not going to put the Joe Burrow label on him yet, but he needs to be able to be the guy. He needs to be able to be the man, for lack of a better term. The second thing in this conversation, I think it's worth throwing in here, the model for team building for an awful lot of the successful teams over the last decade or so has been to get the quarterback and then on the quarterback's first rookie contract, uh, on, on the quarterback's rookie contract, to be able to build around him because you do not need to pay him a lot because he is still on that rookie deal. And I'm going to be fascinated to see. I, I think maybe that played into a little bit of what their thinking was last year before last season when they went and they added Judon and they added all of those kind of relatively high-priced guys, John U. Smith, Hunter Henry. I, I'm wondering if we're going to see a little bit more of that moving forward. Obviously, they were very kind of quiet in the free agent market this year. But if things stay the way they are right now financially, they're going to have a little bit more financial flexibility. I wonder if they're going to continue to build around Mac Jones while Mac is still on that rookie contract because we've seen that, you know, we saw that from Seattle with Russell Wilson. We saw that from Kansas City with Patrick Mahomes. And we saw that in, you know, in, in Arizona with Kyler Murray. When they got their guy, they realized they got their guy and they built around him and they were able to spend around him at the expense of, you know, his contract, but eventually that came due. But you have that window, basically. You have that team-building window, and it's going to be fascinating to see how the Patriots try and maximize that window moving forward when it comes to Max's contract. And with that, it seems like what they did last year, though they, they made all these additions before drafting Mac Jones. We want, we want to be clear on that. Last year, before uh, last season, it seemed as if they were saying, you know what, we want to build the most complete roster that we can. And it was an interesting time because it, the, the salary cap was a little bit lower than normal because it was coming off of the COVID pandemic. So the financials were a little bit at issue, but the Patriots happened to have a lot of cap space. So what they did was they offered a bunch of guys, you know, Big contracts, but probably not as big as what they would be getting now, right? And they and they threw a lot of money out there at a time when other teams were a little bit more hesitant to do so and scooped up a bunch of good players, not really any elite players, but a lot of good players and raised kind of the base value of that team all the way around. Going into Max third year, it would be, and it's interesting to bring this up because Josh Allen and, and the Bills, that's when they went in with, with Josh Allen, was his mm -hmm. third season, not his second season, because they, they were basically like, you know what, okay, here you go. You got John Brown and Cole Beasley. Have fun. <laughs> but then they went out and got Stefan Diggs, right, mm -hmm. during during that third season. So with Mac Jones's third season on the horizon, we got to see how this year goes. But do you think that it might be time more for the Patriots. Do you think they would actually go for more elite talent? Like, okay, this is one of the best players at this position in the league. And we're going to go ahead and give him that big contract as opposed to spreading it out over a bunch of good players. Or do you think that Bill Belichick and the Patriots still want to go more with, look, we want to build a good team all around as opposed to spending all that money on like one or two guys. I think a lot of it depends on timing, really, when, when you talk about team building. A lot of it has to be that perfect mixture of financial flexibility and a player or two that you're 
interested in acquiring, becoming available. I remember years and years, it, it was, you know, Belichick loved Jason Taylor. Belichick loved, you know, there, there were guys that you could pick out across the NFL that Bill loved yeah. that for whatever reason, you know, there were guys he tried to get. He loved Roosevelt Colvin and he went out and it was a matter of good timing before the 2003 season. He got Roosevelt Colvin. He always wanted Ed Reed. They could never make it work. He always wanted to. I mean, I, mean he, he, I feel like when Bill starts talking about Ed Reed, he's like a, <laughs> he's like a kid at Christmas. It's like, I think he thinks of Ed Reed as like, he wants to adopt him. I swear to God. He's got his favorites, man. He's always had his favorites. Ed Reed, you know, going all the way back to the Giants. I always say, find yourself someone who talks about Mark Bavaro the way Bill Belichick talks about Mark Bavaro. You know, he's always had his clear guys across the league. And I say that because if one of those guys becomes available, if one of those elite level talents becomes available after this season, and the Patriots are able to make it work financially. You know, I don't even know who it would be, but really for me, when you talk about Bill and you talk about team building, that's part of the conversation because he has his guys. He clearly has the guys that he loves, that he's always wanted to coach, that, you know, he spent time with at the Pro Bowl all those years ago, you know, or he just he brings up in the press conferences un, with, without any sort of yeah, so I, I think a lot of that depends on timing. I, I think that if Matt continues to progress and they are able to, look, my expectation for this team, they need to win at least one playoff game. They need okay. to be able to get to the Elite Eight of the NFL. Okay. That's the level of expectation I have for this team after last year. They need to go from 10 wins to, let's say, 11 and a half. And... A lot of that's going to depend on Mac, and if Mac is able to progress, if they're able to find people on the defensive side of the ball, particularly in the secondary, then I think they have a shot at it. But you know, between now and then, who knows? I, I, but I, really, for me, ultimately, when you talk about additions next year, I think a lot of it comes back to timing, and a lot of it comes back to Mac's progression. Definitely, you talked about Bill Belichick's guys, and in particular, players that you know he might want to acquire down the line. But what it made me think of was the offensive play calling situation and the way that he is running this coaching staff, because I understand, right, to an extent, right, not wanting to go out and get people are saying, like, why don't you just go and hire somebody from the outside, like an Adam Gase or uh, you know something like that. But I imagine at this point, it's kind of like, well, why would I want to do that and risk strife and you know, rebuilding the system? completely from the ground up with somebody that I might not mesh with. Like maybe he's been complimentary of Adam Gase in the past, but to, to keep things as continuous as possible, especially for Mac Jones. And so I think that it was like, you know what, I'm going to go with my guys, my coaches that I, I know how they work. I know they will do what I want and, and we're going to go with it that way. But it feels like a risk still. To, to go with Matt Patricia and Joe Judge in big offensive roles. And again, we don't really know what those roles are going to be. Obviously, they put the titles on paper that Matt Patricia is going to work with the offensive line. Joe Judge is going to work with the quarterbacks. Bill Belichick is going to oversee the whole the whole operation. But that was the case back in OTAs and minicamp, and they still had all of them reading off the play cards, right? Mm -hmm. Those titles didn't really seem to matter because they were still kind of doing – Whatever. And and I feel like when I, I'm, I'm looking at this, is Bill Belichick putting too much trust in his system, his guys, his way of doing things, 
at the detriment potentially of doing the the simplest, most logical thing to help Mac Jones. Let's also to let's look. Patricia's in here as a voice. Judge is in here as a voice. This is Bill's offense. You know, it's just we're not. They're not going to start. You know, using the run and shoot. They're not going to run the triple. It's just it's Bill's They're offense. Run the, he ruled out the uh, what the the wing T. Yeah, exactly. You know, is this is this is fundamentally the same offense that he's been using, that, that, that and he's talked about this before. It goes all the way back to the you know Chuck Fairbanks bullet days of the the Patriots in the nineteen seventies. This is what he's used over the course of his career. This is what he believes works. And so we could talk about the changes. We could talk about Patricia coming in. We could talk about Judge. I don't want to call it window dressing. But he's in charge of the team. He's in charge of the offense. This is going to be his offense, and he's comfortable enough in you know living or dying with this group. And you know, like I said before, recent history suggests that he's going to find a way to figure it out. And I'm not saying that we're going to reach a point in the season where he's going to be calling offensive plays, but he's going to have a very heavy impact, a very sizable impact on what the Patriots do offensively. Is he spreading himself too thin? Probably. You know, and this is where maybe the conversation, you know, kind of you know, steers toward his age. And but look, yeah. I, I can't remember a situation where he's looked lost or confused on the sidelines or been, you know, there was there was the one situation a couple of years ago against the Titans where you know Vrabel kind of you know put him in checkmate a little bit. But I, I can't if, if we were seeing that. Yeah, I mean, if we were seeing that four, five, six times a year, then go. You know what? Yeah, you know the guy's lost his step. He's gotten a little old, but we're not seeing that. And so until we start to see that, I think the plan is to look, he's going to, like I said, he's going to have his impact on this team. He continues to have his impact on this team, on every aspect of the team, obviously, but he's going to have more impact on the offense than we've seen here over the last few years. Yes. Now I've seen a couple of people suggest that Bill Belichick could be slash should be on the hot seat. If the Patriots don't do as, as you know, you've said you expect, which is win a playoff game this year based on what they were able to do last year and how long now it's, it's been since uh, Tom Brady left town. And I want to ask you, what do you think of that idea and why is it wrong? I don't think they fire him if they make the playoffs. I think if they win 10 games and they sneak into the postseason, I don't think Robert Kraft would fire him. I think if the wheels came off this year and they finished five and 12 and Mac Jones just regressed and looked awful and they ended up having to go with Bailey Zappi and if, if just things just went, just went off the rails this year, then I think there's a chance that they fire him. But I, I don't think that, I don't think unless that happens, I don't think they fire him. I, I still believe that this is the guy who's going to be here until he breaks Don Shula's all-time wins record in a couple of years. And then they let him retire, resign, whatever the case may be. But I, I don't think he's going to be fired unless things just become so absolutely awful this year that the Crafts have no other choice. We've heard Robert Kraft say, yeah, I'm bummed that we haven't won playoff games in the past three seasons. Um, you know, we want to draft better. Right, that he's thrown those little nuggets out there, but it's a testament to I think the baseline level of trust 
or, or confidence that perhaps I have in Bill Belichick that it's like I'm not even considering the idea that it would that it would ever get that bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you think about it, right? Like they had they had a severely talent strapped team in 2020, and they were playing with Cam Newton, who we know by now is clearly past his best days, and they still found a way to win seven games, which, mm-hmm. I mean, you look at it now and you're just like, wow, they won seven games with Cam mm-hmm. Newton. That's actually a heck of a coaching job when you think about it. But I guess that that's the interesting part, right? There is always that chance that it could just go bad, like that it, mm-hmm. that it could get so bad and the environment could get so toxic and things could get so acrimonious that, that there is a chance that he could be fired. Yeah, it, look, it, it's it really, it, you know, the first thing in this conversation is the quarterback yeah. when you talk about that. If, if Mac is just clear, like I said, regresses this year, throws a bunch of interceptions, they figure out, other teams figure out a way to beat him consistently, there's some sort of kryptonite out there that is able to slow him down, I think that's when things might start to change. Because, you know, coming off last year, he did very well for a rookie quarterback and you expect the thing, you know, you expect everything to kind of continue to ascend. But if Mac isn't the guy, then I think, you know, questions will start to pop up about Bill's future. Yeah, I, I would, I would think so as well. And and I think that again, there's like this baseline of confidence perhaps that I have in Mac Jones. It's interesting that I'm saying this, right? Like I'm actually, I'm not a Patriots fan. I'm not from here. Like I'm not really wedded to this team, this fan base, but it's like watching Mac Jones last year and watching the bit that he's done in camp or spring camp specifically I'm talking about right now. I just think he's a good player. Mm-hmm. I think I think that maybe the the team would regress and you know, or perhaps the offense might only like break even with what they did last year. Maybe they would, you know, backslide a little bit depending. But I feel like Mac Jones just knows what he's doing. And that mm-hmm. makes me confident that he's probably not going to regress to that point. But I'll tell you what, man, just this is still such a huge year for him and crazier things I feel like have happened with with young quarterbacks where just for whatever reason, whether it's injury or just offensive game planning or just what have you, just just the vibe in the room goes bad or or people get hurt on the offense, just things sometimes go bad. And so one, yeah, it's just like one would hope that, that we don't see that happen with Mac Jones because I think just the way that he plays the game is clearly somebody who can succeed in this league for a long time. Now, that being said, kind of to, to start closing things out, who's one non-Mac Jones player that you are interested in watching in 2022? Who strikes your fancy? Devontae Parker. Mm. Because yes. I think Parker can, and look, I, I fully copped to the fact that it's, you know, it's probably a chalk answer, but I, I think Parker has the capability to to really change this offense. And you put him on that side of the ball with Kobe Myers, who is just absolutely one of the most dependable guys who I just love, who I think would have fit in really well with like the 2003, 2004 Patriots, you know, that kind of oh, yeah. young, scrappy, tough, make a play for my quarterback kind of guy. Oh, yeah. Um you know, I, I, Hunter Henry, I think Jonu Smith has to be a little bit better this year. And if, if he can kind of get to where they want him to be, um, you know, you put him in that you put him in that offense with that running game with Damian Harris, with Ramondre Stevenson, with James White coming back. You start to kind of see things come together a little bit. But, yeah, I, I think Parker, based on what we saw when he was healthy a couple of years ago, 
I think he can be a real game changer for this offense. I think he can open things up for the other wide receivers. I think he can open things up for the running game. And I think that domino effect could really have a positive impact on this New England offense. The domino effect is the big one for me, especially when you're talking about Nelson Aguilar, who had a rough year last year, but I keep saying this. I think he was, he was just misused mm -hmm. because they didn't have enough personnel to use him correctly. Right. And you look at the receivers that they had last year, basically the only ones who were worth anything were Nelson Aguilar, Jacoby Myers and Kendrick Bourne. None of them fit that typical X outside receiver sort of role. And Aguilar was basically being used at that point as, hey, we need you to just go run deep and occupy safeties and make them cover you because they didn't have anybody else that could do that. Devontae Parker isn't necessarily that guy either, but he's big. He's been productive in this league when he can be on the field. So I think that that kind of down ballot pushes Nelson Aguilar into a position where, hey, maybe he can exploit more coverage in the middle of the field. And they had him doing it in camp and he looked good at it. So mm -hmm. I, I think that instead of people are like, well, just trade Nelson Aguilar for a bag of chips. It's like, or you could see what you've got in him this year. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I, I do think things change with, with, with um, Parker there. I, I think also on the other side of the ball, I'm really fascinated by the kid out of Houston. Marcus Jones, Jones. I, I, the versatility, the speed, the size, uh, he really, for me, we may not see a huge impact this year, but he just strikes me as that spare part, that special teams, defensive back, you know, took some snaps on offense while in college. I He's a really intriguing prospect for me. And, and maybe it's just, I like, you know, kind of those undersized dudes, those J.J. Taylor, Daryl Spr or Darren Sproles, Deion Lewis type of guys. But I, I want to see what he can bring to the table and what sort of impact he can make on this team in 2022 and moving forward. Hot take could be a better punt returner than Gunnar Olszewski almost right away. I mean, he's yeah. he's he's an, an excellent, explosive return guy. And I'll tell you what, I, I have a soft spot for guys. Like you were talking about, I have a soft spot for guys, especially undersized ones that just play with the reckless abandon that he does. I mean, yeah. he just yeah. he just launches himself with absolutely no regard for his own body, yeah. sprinting after people 40 yards down the field to save touchdowns and just, just whatever you could possibly want and need him to do. He just screams New England Patriot to me, mm -hmm. absolutely. And we didn't see him a whole lot, uh, really at all, during uh, spring practice because he had uh, shoulder issues in the offseason, um, that, that he was getting cleaned up. So they had the red non-contact jersey on him. Uh, Jack Jones actually was the guy that we saw more of, and I really like him. I like He's him. Got a, he has a great opportunity right now to, because of the personal losses they had at cornerback. He has a great opportunity to make a real impact on this team. I'm going to be fascinated to see him. That's a great point. Oh, he is – uh, he's mean. I love it. He's, he's like 173 pounds or whatever. It's like soaking wet, but he, he's, he's out there just getting up in your face and, and jamming people in, you know, into the ground and, and coming up with interceptions all on the scout team, but still just around the football. Mm -hmm. And I think that people were looking at the cornerback room, like, what are you going to do? Right. You're not really going to roll into the season with Jalen Mills and, and Malcolm Butler. Are you though? I you know, Malcolm Butler looks like he fits in just fine, but those young kids, even though they're not necessarily the people you you immediately think you want covering those dynamic slot receivers that you're going to see in the AFC East, I think it's quite possible that they're going to see snaps because 
I mean, first of all, there's injuries, injuries happen, but I think that they are scrappy and tough and fast enough and athletic enough to get on the field sooner than you think. Mm-hmm. I, I also too, in, in as, as many troubles as Bill has had identifying wide receivers in the draft, he's, you know, the flip side to that is he's knocked it out of the park. I think in a lot of ways, when it comes to running backs, I haven't seen enough of Pierre strong, but for me, he feels like, you know, Ben Jarvis Green Ellis for a new generation. This is a guy who's not going to make an impact this year because they are deep at running back. But, you know, in 2023, we're going to be talking about him as an 800, 900, you know, 1,000-yard guy. And I'm intrigued because, I mean, from everything that we've heard, James White probably isn't going to be ready to start this season. Mm-hmm. So you're going to be with you know Ryan with Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson and maybe there's a Ty Montgomery in there. I feel like he's probably going to make this team mm-hmm. just as insurance, right? He, he's one of those guys, but Montgomery's one of those guys too where you have to remind yourself, "Oh yeah, he's on the roster." You know, it's yeah. it, he's a guy, Jabril Peppers, Raquan McMillan, those guys are still out there who are you know, part of the Patriots roster who I think have a chance if you get I don't know contributions from a couple of those guys this year. You feel you know you feel better about where you are as a team. Yeah, I think with Jabril Peppers in particular, I think with the way that the cornerbacks and the, and the linebacker rooms are set up, I feel like he is going to play a decent amount because I think they're going to go with three safeties a lot and they're going to rotate some of those guys in in and out. But I think that there are going to be times when they're just straight up going to put four safeties on the field. I believe that. I think it's. I think there are going to be lineups where it's going to be McCourty, Duggar, Phillips, and Peppers on the field with three corners. Mm-hmm. Because, because I mean, particularly in Peppers' case, and and even in the case of like a Duggar, you could play them as slot corners if you want. Mm-hmm. You could do just about anything you could possibly want with them, and I think that that makes it a little easier to counteract some of the speed and athleticism in the uh, in the offenses that you're going to face in this division. So oh, I agree. I agree. And it's, and it's an easy way to get faster. You know, one of the things we saw from this team at the end of the year last year, they were slow and they were a little bit old. And when you're able to, you know, put guys like Peppers, if he's healthy, Duggar, you know, safeties who play like linebackers, you know, you, you, you kind of close the gap a little bit. Maybe you're not exactly, you know, able to keep up with a lot of those really fast, you know, fast wide receivers that we've seen across the AFC East, but you're in a much better spot than you were at the end of the year last year. Agreed. Chris Price from the Boston Globe and the Patriots Report podcast. Thank you so much for joining me, man. It was great to be on on this side of it for once, asking you the questions. Looking forward to doing it again and looking forward to hanging out with you whenever that comes down the line. You You know I'm always there for you. Love it. Love it. Take care, man. We'll talk soon. That was my main man, Chris Price of the Boston Globe. Like I said, check out his podcast, Patriots Report, with him and LeGarrette Blunt, And make sure you keep on checking out this podcast, First and Foxborough. Download, subscribe, listen on the Odyssey app, stream it there and wherever you get your podcasts, and stay tuned. The training camp preview is going to go on for another day. And then on Wednesday, it's going to be the real thing. I am going to be reporting live from Gillette Stadium, telling you everything about how things went at Patriots practice at training camp. I'm going to be there like almost every single day. That's all I got for today, though. Till tomorrow.